This is Browns Digest. What's going on, Browns fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Browns Digest podcast, and it feels great to have you back for another episode. Season two, the ball is rolling. We're getting closer to training camp. Mandatory minicamp for the Browns just wrapped up not too long ago. So it's time to start looking down the street and down the view and where the Browns may be going in terms of this training camp competitions. But before we get too ahead of ourselves, let me introduce our guest for this week, which is no other than Neil from Two Green Browns and the Cleveland Sports Podcast and the Cleveland Sports Collective. Neil actually had me on his podcast way, way back when, um, last season, when I first started with Sports Illustrated Browns Digest. So it is great to finally have him on my podcast and have him over on the website. Neil, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. And thanks for inviting me on. It is always great to um, have people, especially from like the UK, that area and in Europe um, on the show. One, because it just shows how far the Browns fandom stretches. Last week, we had Jack Duffin on to talk some uh, some salary cap. So with this week with Neil and training camp right on the horizon, felt like the perfect time to really just talk about and discuss which training camp competitions are probably going to be the most vital for the Browns this season. Yeah, I think it's uh, for once, I think, Sean, it's going to be an interesting uh, training camp because there's actually going to be names that were like when I mean my names, I mean my names that people don't want to lose uh, from the team or don't want to see maybe push down the roster or push down the the um, I suppose the chain of command within within different different rooms that we will see for once this year as Cleveland Browns fans. You know, it's not just going to be people that are going to be cut from the roster that are going to be uh, maybe our fourth or fifth wide receiver. It's not going to be they're not the battles we're really going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at big battles from big names. And I think it's going to be really, really interesting one this year for sure. Yeah. And that's a good position to be in when you have the most important competitions at the top of a position rather than the back end, like who's going to be your cornerback, you know, four or three in the situation where the Browns have been in the past, where typically who's ever been battling out for that starter spot. You haven't really felt too confident. Now you're in a situation where your cornerback two from two seasons ago and Greedy Williams is now battling against a first round pick. So your top four corners, honestly, are either proven starters within Denzel Ward and Troy Hill. And you have two top two picks in terms of the cornerback position with uh, Greedy Williams from 2018. And then you have um, Greg Newsom this year in the 2020 draft or 21, 2021 draft, excuse me. And uh, that's just a great position to be in in terms of improving that defense. So um, as we're just looking into it, the cornerback position was actually a group that we wanted to talk about heading into training camp. And when you just look at the room overall, there's some new names and then there's some familiar returners from the past few seasons. So we all know Denzel Ward, the warden, is going to be that number one corner. And then Troy Hill's pretty much that other lock in terms of the player that's going to be in the slot and manning down that nickelback role. 
then it starts to get a little bit more fluid in terms of who's going to be that cornerback number two on the outside. And I think the primary battle that we're going to see, especially in training camp heading into week one, is going to be Greedy Williams and Greg Newsom. Um, based off of that competition, who do you think may have the edge heading into training camp? It's definitely the the battle I think that I'm going to be most looking forward to uh, is going to be between Greedy Williams and, and Greg Newsom. Who has the edge is a great question because I don't, I, I personally think that, that we will see uh, Greg Newsom take the field uh, on opening day. I think he will be the starting cornerback, but I don't think that it's going to be ever mentioned. I don't think it's going to ever be said, explicitly said by this coaching staff. I think that they are quite relishing the idea of being able to interchange Greg Newsom and Greedy Williams from the point of view that Greedy Williams coming back after the nerve injury in his, uh, in his shoulder, you know, he's going to be, there's going to be ring rust there. He, he had an okay rookie season. It wasn't exactly the best rookie season we've ever seen. Did a couple of things poorly. He did a couple of things well. Um, obviously, when he came into the league, everybody said his tackling was an issue, and that turned out to be something that he wasn't too bad at. Uh, and it was actually one of his one of the points that he excelled in. You know, when he came into the league. But then Greg Newsom is going to be coming in also with his injury concerns, but also learning the NFL structures, learning how to play in the NFL. A high pick with a lot of pressure on him. You know, I think he will get the nod to start there. But I think as we see over the course of the season, that there will be a relative amount of interchangeability there, um, which is something that the Browns haven't really had uh, over the course of the last few years, they've wanted it. They've wanted it with different with different regimes and with different uh, coaching staffs. You know, you remember um, Terrence Mitchell broke his arm, and he uh, I think he broke his forearm two years ago, and he would have been that interchangeable piece within the uh, a rotation there for for the cornerbacks, but. The Browns haven't really been able to get that. And obviously last year there was just decimation at the cornerback room. So I think they're going to relish that. But I do think that uh, Greg Newsom the second will be our starting cornerback when it comes to day one. And I've no factual information to base it on. It's just a hunch. And I think it's the fact that this um, training staff or this uh, coaching staff, should I say, will like the idea of having their guys starting in there. But they'll also like the idea of having greedy in reserve should Greg Newsom. Um, you know, maybe come up against some hard times. And you see it a lot, too, of you want to see front offices start their guys because there's someone that they drafted that they were highly sought after. And as the draft process started to get closer and closer to actual draft night, Greg Newsom just seemed like the right fit for the Browns if he made it down the draft board. And I feel like once you kind of got to that situation where you saw the Arizona Cardinals take Zayvon Collins, you're just like, okay, there's a legitimate chance that they might be able to get Greg Newsom. And then once he, he failed to them at uh, 26, it was pretty much almost a guarantee. And when I kind of look at the competition, I think it's a situation where this is a make or break for Greedy Williams. And not in terms of his like NFL career, but more of his ability to be a significant contributor to this Browns defense. Um, I mean, you look at his rookie year, like you said, he had a, a mixed bag of a performance throughout the season. Um, you know, health obviously was an issue because there were times where Greedy and Denzel both missed games. And then, of course, missing all of last season. And this cornerback room is very, um, I would say, position role heavy in terms of outside corners. 
when you look at like the baseline of who else is in the cornerback room, you have Brian Allen, who they brought over from the Steelers. He's 6'3", 200 pounds out of Utah. He's only been in the league for three years. He's an outside corner. You got A.J. Green from last year from Oklahoma State, who spent majority of the year on the practice squad. He's also 6'2", just under uh, 200 pounds. You look at Robert Jackson, another 6'2 corner, who's over, he's about 205. And then you have um, Greedy Williams, who's 6'2", 185. They all kind of fit that mesh of a player that plays on the outside. But when you really look at the issue that they were having last year, is that they didn't have a bona fide slot corner that man down that role. And Andrew Barry did a great job of covering up, I would say, that weakness in that cornerback room with the addition of Troy Hill. So like when you look at that situation, you know, knock on wood that there's another injury bug that bites a secondary. If Troy Hill goes down, there's more questions of now who steps in to play that nickel role as a corner. I mean, yeah, you have MJ Stewart, uh, you got somebody like undrafted free agent out of Miami of Ohio, Emmanuel Ragumba. If that's a type of player, or maybe a Keandre Thomas, you need someone to be able to man that slot role. So is there a possibility um, that Greg Newsom can show some scheme versatility and play on the inside? If he does that, I feel like the Browns are then in the most ideal situation where you know your top four corners are set up to scheme up well against pretty much any offense because Denzel Ward has that ability to play at a high level in the slot, especially considering they pay the Chargers this year. And I would much rather have Denzel Ward covering Keenan Allen out of the slot versus, you know, your number one covering potentially um, Mike Williams on the outside when you have a taller corner and Greedy Williams or Greg Newsom on the outside. I absolutely agree with that. And I think that's something that we will see in training camp or something that the eagle eyed of those of you guys who are going to be at training camp and get, get to actually see it um, are going to be looking for it to see where does Greg Newsom line up? Is he going to be predominantly on the boundary or will he play inside the small bit? The, I suppose they're going to really look to see Obviously, we, we've strengthened up our defensive backroom, not just in the in the form of Greg Newsom, but also um, with John Johnson. Ronnie Harrison is there as well. What kind of lineups will will the will the the safety room play? You know, will they will they maybe bring in a Grant Delpit, play him in the slot, and try and confuse defenses? Will they will Shedrick Redwine? revert back to to playing playing cornerback or playing in the slot like he did when he was with um when he was with Miami. So you know it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting piece, I think, uh the, the cornerback room. But the one thing that you mentioned there is versatility. And I think that that's something that Joe Woods is going to want to have in that room. And obviously the way they've set this up, that's a kind of a no-brainer the way that the, the players that they've brought in and um, they do want that versatility and they do want to be able to line up uh, a certain players for certain packages and completely bamboozle def- uh, offenses with the defensive setup and and you know you could see any number of of uh, defensive backs on the field at any given time and as you mentioned there you could see four four cornerbacks four five cornerbacks even at some stages <laughs> on the field at some stage and and uh, that's going to be something that the Cleveland Browns can play to their strength and that uh, that Joe Woods I think is salivating over uh, come the the start of the season. Yeah, and I think Joe Woods and Andrew Barry has a tough decision to make on the back end cut down portion of this roster. For me, I I pretty much think that all fans kind of have a general understanding of who that top four cornerback room is of Ward, Newsome, Greedy Williams, and then Troy Hill. 
then it starts to get a little bit more clouded of one, how many cornerbacks do they keep? And then two, who's really going to be that fifth corner? Because you're kind of in the situation now, if Joe Woods has already kind of hinted that he wants to play more of a, a big dime package where you have in an extra safety versus a, um, a extra cornerback. So you're in a situation where you have Grant Dale Pitt or say uh, Jeremiah Wusu-Kormoa covering someone in the slot. Now you need to also have someone that has the ability to play on the outside, say if Denzel Ward comes in or you know whatever the case may be, depending on how they decide to match things up. Now you look at that cornerback number five. Is it going to be MJ Stewart who shows that versatility to you know blitz from the the nickelback from in the slot, which I think he did a good job and also made some plays blitzing from that nickel position, or do you look at AJ Green, someone that the team you know had on their practice squad? They basically gave him guaranteed money to have him in there. They've seen him develop for a year. Um, you know how 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 do they fit? In, into the grand scheme of things because when you look really look at AJ Green and what he was in college he was predominantly a outside corner so you know do you lean now more onto MJ Stewart in that situation or do you go with the younger player that you've brought in you know on your own and seeing what he can develop into does he offer that scheme versatility and I think those are some big questions that need to be answered in training camp and give us, and that I think will help give Joe Woods and the overall defensive staff a better schematic use of their safeties if they're going to try to use those big dime packages. Yeah, uh, AJ Green is kind of the joker in the pack, as you mentioned there, to see what we don't know what he is. We don't know what he's become with this coaching staff. We don't know where uh, where he's grown, maybe where he's regressed. He's a complete and utter unknown uh, to, to us as fans at this moment in time. And I think that, you know, when you look at, at how our depth of, corner, uh, of the cornerback room was tested last year, uh, he's somebody that I feel due to the amount of investment that's been put into him. And I know in the greater scheme of things, it wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was for where he fed, where he he sat in the food chain. It was a lot of money. So he's going to be an interesting piece. You know, do we see what, you know, does he, does he uh, kind of fulfill his potential? You know, he was always good um, as, as an outside corner, you know, and he, and, and to get in there and special teams, but we didn't even really see him there last year within special teams either, because, you know, some days he, he didn't even make the, he didn't even, even suit up on game day as well. So he's going to be the joker in the pack and uh, they wouldn't have kept him for this year if they didn't think there was something there. Uh, you know, they, they cut Robert Jackson, brought him back. And, you know, that maybe tells us all we need to know about AJ Green and what this, this coaching staff thinks about him. So he will definitely be one that we will need to keep eyes on, I think, as this training camp comes up. So I'm in the belief that they'll probably keep around six corners. I think that's a kind of a good safety net, you know, one, because you can have enough players contribute on special teams, rather be coverage units. And then, of course, you know, if someone goes down, you at least have enough players if you had to pick a top six that you think might be on the 53 come week one, who would you say out of that quarterback room would be in that group? Well, you've got your top four and Denzel, Greedy, uh, Greg Newsom, and Troy Hill. And it's, 
it's yeah, it's it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough in there. You know, I think Robert Jackson. Does Robert Jackson get in there? They're going to obviously want somebody that they can trust in special teams, and they did trust Robert Jackson in special teams at times last year. You know, Brian Allen was brought in. You mentioned Brian Allen. He was he was played at the Steelers. He's played uh, he's played in the Cincinnati Bengals. He's done a tour of a lot of teams since he joined the since he joined the league in two thousand and seventeen. And um, can he be that that special teams guy uh, that that the team needs? Um, obviously, I I think that they will go with AJ Green and MJ Stewart. I think that the the, the two initials guys, AJ Green and MJ Stewart, would be would get in there. And the reason I'm I'm siding with uh, MJ Stewart is that he does bring that special teams. He brings that special teams ability. Uh, when he played last year, he played predominantly in the slot. I know he's not exactly brilliant at it, and they were talking about potentially, you know, should he be moved to safety. Um, or should he continue to play? Could he, should he continue to play cornerback? Obviously, his time at uh, Tampa Bay wasn't uh, wasn't exactly the most fruitful for him. But he does have the experience. He's played at a high level. He was a, he was a second round pick, and I think that uh, you know his special teams ability is is pretty pretty good. And I think that that might just push him over the line as being that sixth play, uh, that fifth or sixth option. Um, you know, in the cornerback room. And I like that um, one, that emphasis on special teams is really important because when you look at the back end of a 53, typically the players that make that game day roster, um, you know, obviously there's going to be some people that's inactive, but your ability to contribute on special teams can make the difference between you either making it on a practice squad or just being cut, you know, entirely. So I would say a position that your ability to contribute early on special teams, that could be huge in terms of making the 53 is definitely the linebacking core. And this is a group where I believe we're going to see a lot of turnover in terms of not only this season, but next year as well. One, because there's just a lot of one-year deals in terms of the free agents that they brought back. And then, of course, the rookies they added and then the free agents that they added. Um, so when you look at the fact that B.J. Goodson, who played the most snaps at linebacker last year, is gone. They bring back Malcolm Smith, who's essentially the veteran of this room. They add Anthony Walker from the Indianapolis Colts, um, who actually picked off Baker Mayfield last year. And then there's the players that come from that John Dorsey era in his final season. You look at Mac Wilson, Sione Taki Taki. You got Jacob Phillips from two years ago that was uh, drafted by this front office. And then you look at Elijah Lee, um, Montreal Meter, Tony Fields, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, who's kind of in that, I would say, rover role where he kind of fits in as a hybrid linebacker slash defensive back. And there's there's a lot of bodies in there. And with so many players, how many linebackers do they keep? And, you know, there's a lot of young people that they're adding to this room. Can you even feel entirely confident you know, if you have to lean on a linebacker for, you know, whatever situation, is there enough experience, you know, in those high pressure playoff situations that they can count on if they do decide to move off some of these veterans for a younger player? That's that's actually the big question, I think, in this linebacker room. Gone are the days of us wondering, do we even have a functional linebacker on the team? You know, last year there was a lot there was a lot more unknowns from the point of view of actual play on the field bringing in Malcolm Malcolm Smith brought in that experience and I think he is being that holdover from last year albeit that we as you mentioned we do bring back Jacob Phillips Sione Takataki and uh, Mac Wilson and um, I think Malcolm Smith and Anthony Walker are going to be the two uh 
the two kind of um the two old heads for the long road in that room and 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 so there should be because you know I think it's becoming more and more position it's it's a thinking man's position from the point of view of uh this yeah the, the browns are going to use the linebackers this year to to stop the run so they're going to be more focused on diagnosing plays um you know trying to get maybe one of i don't know does anthony walker get the get the green dot does he become the quarterback of the defense a lot of people are saying it we've seen what 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 his colts teammates have uh, have have said about him gushing uh, in praise with him and and his football intelligence so um bringing that experience and that intelligence to the actual whole defense setup is going to be really, really interesting because I'm not quite sure we had that. Malcolm Smith came in really, really late last year. Yes, BJ Goodson came in and did an okay job, but he wasn't a full-time starter uh, for, um, he wasn't a full-time starter and he with the previous teams he was with when he came into the Browns, he was trust, trust into the Lions then and was that starter. So it's going to be, it's there, there's a small bit more of a safety blanket there, I think, bringing back Malcolm Smith to be able to, to be able to, to, you know, to diagnose and use his smarts and his, his skills there and his experience around of, of, of being in the league for so long. And also bringing in Anthony Walker for low money, one year deal brings that small bit of savviness there as well. So you can bring along the likes of Jacob Phillips and um, big things thought of, of Jeremiah Wusakoromora, you know, whatever they do with him, the Swiss Army knife, whatever you want to call him, could we could be talking about him in, as a defensive back? It was, you know, muted quite a lot, and there was a lot of Twitter wars over whether he was going to be a safety or a linebacker. Um, but it's it's a, it's a really interesting, and it's more of an exciting room as well because I think there is something in Jacob Phillips that people will see in his second year this year because things started to click for him at the end of the season last season wasn't a great season for him overall when you look at his statistics and you look at his box scores, but he started to do certain things right. And then also when you bring in somebody like a little bowling ball, like Sione Takitaki, that's going to be interesting as well. See what they do with him over camp because... You know, he does have an opportunity that if we, uh, to, to throw him in packages where he rushes off the edge predominantly, uh, or he, we could rush him off the edge because he did that as, um, he did that in college. And, and, and it's an exciting room built in with that newfound experience that we have in Anthony Walker and bringing back Malcolm Smith. Yeah, I love the Mal- uh, Malcolm Smith's ability to play and pass coverage, especially on third down, that's someone that you can at least trust out there, which is really important. Just because, I mean, one, being a 10-year veteran, he's seen enough from NFL offenses to know what spot to be in. And being a linebacker, like you said, those smarts, being in the right spot and understanding where you need to be in terms of the scheme is what's going to make you the most successful. And like you said, Jacob Phillips last season, actually in weeks, I believe it was week 17, he played 100% of the snaps, and B.J. Goodson didn't even play that game. But the thing was, it showed that Phillips was able to diagnose plays. That was one of the things that they talked about when he got drafted was his ability to sift through trash and make make the right play, being able to get off blocks, being able to make plays in space. That's something that was highlighted on the Browns breakdown that they just released this week on the Browns YouTube channel with Jeremiah Wusukoromoa is that uh, Dane Brugler talked about his ability to make plays in space and being an explosive athlete. But obviously, you know, NFL speed is a lot different than college when almost every player is either uh, just as fast or faster than you. So, you know, that'll definitely see where his speed translate in terms of the NFL, especially with him just being a little bit more undersized. But um, 
I guess a good question to ask is how many linebackers do you think makes the final 53? And then who do you think those linebackers would be? So I had a feeling you were going to ask me this question <laughs> and I wish I prepared a bit more for it. I don't know exactly the amount, the, the number that they would take, but I, I, I think the biggest thing will, I've got a, a hot take on this that Tony Fields will be uh, will start the season on the uh, on the pop list or he will start it on injured reserve. Um, just with the fact that they were very coy about his foot injury, it was something that lingered on. They found it in his physical, but uh, he didn't make the the rookie mini camp. Um, uh, I I think that could be one of those ones like they did with Drew Forbes, whereby they find a way to stash him. Obviously, being a fifth round, a fifth round piece, but they don't obviously keep him out for the full season. That could be something that we see because he is obviously raw. He is he was brought in because of the scheme that that they wish to play to be a you know a moldable piece. And maybe everybody said he was like Jeremiah Rusakor, more light. So you know, let's see if if that is the case. Maybe this gives him a bit more time to 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 learn and to to view from afar while he's he's not being pressured into suiting up on game day. And um, once again, I think we're going to be heavily featuring uh, the bottom of the roster guys here are going to be heavily featured on, on special teams. And I think with that in mind that we could see somebody like Elijah Lee make it in there. So I think that if we were to take five, uh, five linebackers, I think you're going to see Anthony Walker, Taki Taki, Ma- um, uh, Malcolm Smith, Jacob Phillips, uh, Jeremiah Wusukoromora. I think that's who you're going to see. But if they take, they, you know, six is definitely an option there as well. I think that six linebacker would be Elijah Lee with Tony Fields, maybe starting the season on the on the uninjured reserve, coming back at some stage, and maybe they look and see what way the roster is uh, is um, is kind of what the makeup of the roster is, how their defensive scheme is going in season, maybe after um, you know maybe week three, four, five, six, or whatever, and then they begin to to, to kind of uh, plan for bringing Tony Fields back in there. I do think that Tony Fields is somebody is, is somebody that they brought in because they loved him, but they love him for what he can be as opposed to what he is now, even though he is quite the the you know the the lightning rod in there and he was uh, he was in college as well. But I think he could be somebody that could be a dark horse to be found to 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 make his way onto the practice squad or not into the practice squad, but onto the onto the injury reserve so they can stash him that way because I don't think he's staying on a practice squad if if they pop him on a practice squad. I think he gets claimed. Gotcha. Yeah. And the ability to develop players is going to be essential for this team to have long term success. And like you already mentioned, his ability to kind of match up into that versatile piece that is JOK. It gives you some more scheme flexibility to move players around and really play matchup football more than anything else. And that's where it looks like the NFL is really moving to is matchup football. How do you match up with speed but not sacrifice too much size? So now do you use undersized linebackers? Do you use more defensive backs? And I believe that as we watch this season, hitting into the next couple years, as the roster starts to churn out a little bit with some of these older players leaving or you know retiring, however it may be, then you start to see these young players and them come into their own. And once you know what type of role they fit in, they'll be able to show, you know, this is this is the type of piece that this person can be used on defense. And I think that Tony Fields and JLK fits that type of role. And then also, I love the fact that you acknowledge that, again, special teams is that area that teams always have to make tough decisions on. 
yeah, there's going to be some fan favorites that get cut or some players that are kind of, you know, bubble players and their ability to contribute on special teams can make the difference between them playing for the Browns or ending up on one of the other 31 NFL franchises. So, I mean, with that being said, I would say in a situation they do keep six linebackers, I wouldn't be surprised if Elijah Lee was that other player just because he's already shown the ability to contribute on special teams, especially with Tay Davis. Now, um, I believe he went to the Houston Texans at free agency. Um, like him everyone, going. everybody went to the Texans. Texans and Titans. <laughs> I'm surprised. <laughs> I'm surprised me. I'm surprised me and you aren't playing for the Texans at this stage. They seem to have signed everybody else in the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they want to hand me a contract to play quarterback, I, you know, I'll go get tackled for a few plays and get a contract. <laughs> so I think another group <laughs> that um, will again, we're going to see a lot of uh, turnover. You know, there's some familiar names, some not so familiar names, depending on you know where you kind of fall into the Browns fandom. Now looking at the offensive side of the ball is going to be the wide receiver room. And there's a lot of bodies in this room. And with, I believe with the turnover that you're going to see with the defense, um, especially with the fact that there's potentially what, almost nine new starters that you could see coming week one, that you're going to want to have more players on defense um, in terms of offensive on the, uh, I would say on the back end of your depth chart, because if there's a situation that someone goes down and gets injured you, you don't have that same type of confidence on the defense. And that's not a knock on anyone um, in terms of their talent, but it's just their uh, familiarity and their production inside the system hasn't been proven yet. Or if it has been shown, there's only been flashes versus with the offense, you pretty much know who your main contributors are going to be. And it's going to be about that back turn of the roster. So when you look at the receiver group, you know, you got Odell, Jarvis, Higgins. I would say that's almost your guaranteed top three. And that, the reason why I say almost is I believe Donovan Peoples-Jones may make a big run at that receiver three spot. And that may be the most important training camp battle to watch at the receiver group between Peoples-Jones and Rashard Higgins. Yeah, and... I don't think there's as much drama in this wide receiver room. Um, I, know, I know a lot of people are maybe saying, you know, what happens? How many do they take? Does Cadrell Hodge not make the not make the the, the fifty three? Um, but but I think this I think that this that this coaching staff have to be absolutely delighted with what they've seen from Donovan Peoples Jones. And I think that they're going to try and include him more and more in in the return game as well. You know, we heard it with with that little mini camp that was on recently uh, that he was returning uh returning uh kicks and punts I think it was and that uh, they were really trying to work him in work him into that rotation a small bit more even though he did a small bit of it last season. They didn't expect him to play as much as he did last season. He had to play out of necessity, obviously, with the COVID, with the bad, bad breaks we got with COVID in the in the wide receiver room. Obviously, with OBJ going down in in um, I think it was a Cincinnati game last year. He had to come of age. He didn't have a chance, uh, have a choice. What I love about Donovan Peoples Jones is that he's a smart kid. You can see it. He's an intelligent guy. He wants to. He wants to use his. His, uh, his intellect and his talents as well when his football career is over. And he comes from, you know, a long line of academics as well. And 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 that to me means something. I know it doesn't, it, it doesn't have to mean it for every single player, but I think when you're looking at somebody's work ethic and how he's going to work through, move through the gears, Michigan didn't work out for him. Um, he obviously had unbelievably poor quarterback play when he was in college. Um, but 
what we saw when you were able to force, not force the ball to him, but when you needed to throw the ball to him, he was there and he was willing last season. And Baker Mayfield, you know, developed a small bit of a connection with him in the absence of some bigger names. And it's been highly documented that, you know, that is one of the the things that Baker is good at is just finding uh, the open guy. So I think that, I don't, while I think that, that both of those players, Rashad Higgins and, and Donovan Peoples-Jones are definitely going to make the 53. I don't think that's that's up for debate. And I know that that's not what you were saying, but I think that once again, the versatility and the the, the weapons and the options that this, uh, that Kevin Stefanski and that Van Pelt Van Peltz is going to have at their disposal. And I, and I, I mentioned Alex Van Pelt because I, I don't think it's out of the realms of possibility that he calls all the plays this season. Um, and takes over that mantle. And I think that both of them really like what they've seen with Donovan Peoples-Jones. They think that there's more in him. They think they can get him involved in more aspects. Whereas Rashad Higgins is an absolute safety blanket. There's probably more potential uh, flying around with with Donovan Peoples-Jones, but it's up to him to unlock it along with the coaching staff as well. So um, we're not just about Jarvis and OBJ and not at all and those two guys are going to be very very big contributors just like they were last season and you know those three guys Jarvis uh, Rashad Higgins and um, and Donovan Peoples-Jones they propelled us to to play off last season aren't too many wide receivers in the last 20-30 years that can say that they've done that for sure Uh, I just think overall that Jarvis Landry's leadership ability and just the culture shift that he's helped provide for Cleveland, whether it be on the locker room, whether it be on the field, just showing his consistency, always fighting and, you know, even battling through injury is huge. And for just the overall morale of the team, keeping up that energy, it's extremely important. Like for some people, they may feel that it's either overstated for some, it might be understated of, of how important it is, but you definitely need it. And it needs to be someone needs to be a vocal leader and an actual production um, producer on the field. And he does both. And I, I think th- that that his tangible and intangible impact on the team is is extremely value and is definitely going to be needed for this season. So when you look at the rest of the receiver room, there's a lot of other bodies fighting for that. I would say maybe one, max two spots. So we're in a situation where I say they're going to keep three to four. And I'm not strictly just on the um, 53. But I think after that top four of Peoples-Jones and Higgins, they, they got to keep three to four receivers with maybe two on the on the 53 and then another two on the practice squad or or uh, or, you know, or or one and two, however they decide to keep it. But now you look at Jamarcus Bradley, a player that had to step in at that New York Jets game and who played his tail off um, in a situation where he finally got his opportunity. So, you know, if he has another good training camp, he could potentially make the roster or, you know, uh, fight for a roster spot on another team. Look at Alexander Hollins, another player that was in that situation. Jojo Natson, who's uh, very fast and offers special teams value in the return game, which is huge, which the Browns are still looking for since uh, the departure of Josh Cribbs. Uh, Ryan Switzer, who has shown ability as a slot receiver and ability to return kicks and punks, uh, punts. Derek Willies, uh, who is a huge receiver and someone that I would, yeah. I would love to see him come back. Um, you know, he was on the team a couple years ago. He had that one big play that helped the team uh, win the game. I think it was against the Ravens. Um, he had, he had a big play. So he's back now. 
And I mean, at 6'4", 207, he's easily the biggest receiver on the team and, and around the same size, uh, not in terms of weight, but height wise uh, next to the tight end. So he just offers something different in terms of like a jump ball specialist. And then also you have the burner, Anthony Schwartz. Um, you know, he still hasn't signed his rookie contract yet. But, you know, those are a lot of people that have to fill that back end of that receiver room. So you're looking at potentially six, seven guys that are fighting for maybe three roster spots, max four, if the Browns feel like they need to keep that much. So in that situation, you know, who, who do you think I would probably say would be that top three in the situation we already know who our top four are going to be? Um, so you mean the, the next three, the next three guys to come, obviously after, after our top four, um, I, I think the Catarell Hodge gets in there. I think, I think he's, I think he's next man up and, and obviously Anthony Schwartz is going to be there. I, I, as I say, I don't think there's going to be too much drama with regards to, um, they're going to pick, they're going to pick the tried and trusted guys. It's really going to come down to one spot between as you mentioned, Jamarcus Bradley, uh, Ryan Switzer, Derek Willies, Alex Hollins, and uh, and Jojo Natson. And you know what? I I know that they spoke glowingly in the prefer spoken glowingly about Jojo Natson, and you know he's predominantly going to be a return specialist. And and we all, we all know that. You know that I think it was prefer said he's got he's got feet like shopping trolley wheels that he can move in every direction that that, that you need to, but. You know, is he any better than Ryan Switzer? You know, like Ryan Switzer for me is a bit of an enigma. And I know that everything that went down with his, with his child um, last season or early or just after the season was really, really scary and stuff. But when he was with Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, he's been in the league for as long as Joe Jonathan. He has more return yards. He has more touchdowns. He has more receiving yards. He has more receptions than than Joe Jonathan. And, and he's the same age. Whereas we we kind of automatically assume that Jojo Natson, if they're going to pick a, a return specialist, it's going, it's going to be him. But Ryan Switzer beats him out. And if you're a box score watching, he beats him out in every single, uh, in every single attribute. So for, for, for me, that, that, that one's a strange one, but um, I, I personally don't think it's going to come down to the, either of those two guys. I think that the last person on the, um, I think the last person that will make it onto the roster would be Alexander Hollins. Um, only reason that I believe that is that I don't think they're going to need either of those two, either Joe Jonathan or Ryan Switzer to return the ball. Um, I think that's going to come from uh, somebody else. I don't think they're going to take, they're going to bring somebody just to be a return specialist. I think what Hollins brings you once again, and I'm going to go back to it once again, is going to be special teams ability. And the fact that he's been at Minnesota, he was in Minnesota for 2019 and 2020 season. I think that, uh, He's a, you know, he knows Kevin Stefanski's system that he could be the guy that gets the nod to be the very last person on this roster. But once again, that last wide receiver spot is always wide open. And I think every single team would be looking to see maybe a cut down day, maybe, you know, a cut down day isn't, isn't um, on the Saturday anymore. I think it's on the Tuesday or the Wednesday before it's, it's a bit earlier this season. So I think that a lot of teams would be looking to maybe churn that part of the roster, but provided that they don't, I think that uh, I think that Alexander Hollins could be the man, based on the fact that uh, you know from special teams again, and the fact that they will be looking for the return specialist not to come from either Natson or Switzer, that they will be looking to other parts of uh, of the team to 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 cover that return that return spot. Yeah. So for anyone that's listening, I hope you're listening closely. If you have any dreams or aspirations of making it to the NFL, if you're a college player, listen to the podcast. Special teams, special teams, special teams. 
Neil <laughs> has brought it up multiple times. If you want to make a roster in the NFL, even if you know you still have a skill set, if you're a raw prospect, you have great athletic traits. If you show the ability to contribute on special teams, there is always a role and a roster spot available for you in the NFL because it is one of the most undervalued but also overvalued roles in NFL roster. You see it every single year where a, a, a big name player on some teams that people just expect to make the, ro- make the roster don't and someone that contributes on special teams does. A player that has been around for a while. He's no longer on the roster now, but Taewon Taylor was added to this team when John Dorsey first became general manager. He's actually traded for, I believe it was a seventh round pick or a sixth round pick. Now, yes, he had talent in college that made him either, I believe it was a first round or second round pick for the Titans, but it was about his ability to contribute on special teams that always kept him around. And if you can do that, that really can help stamp your ability to make a final 53 or even be kept on the practice squad if you show the traits that they believe that they can develop, even if you just wind up being a special team contributor for most of your career. When you look at, um, oh, what is his name? It's going to bother me. Uh, Matthew Slater from the Patriots. The man makes the Pro Bowl almost every year contributing on special teams. And, I mean, you love to see it. Absolutely. It's like <laughs> he's he really is the poster boy for special teams, Matthew Slater. Um, you know, he does get all the he does get all all the plaudits for it and and you know he is the the the, the person that the people can aspire to, but not every team can just hold on to people just because they're good at special teams. Um it is obviously one of the reasons why uh, we've been looking at the uh, the bottom of the roster here at the bottom of these positions for these roster positions, should I say? And um, you know, it's it, it, it's definitely something to keep in mind. I think Collins probably, I, I think he could he could offer a small bit more than just special teams in, in a push. Um, I know I remember reading somewhere that uh, that Mike Zimmer was actually pretty bummed to lose him. Uh, off the practice squad, they thought they might be able to to stash him there. And I remember at one stage because last year with Kevin Stefanski coming over, obviously from Minnesota, they I, I think keeping off keep a, a massive eye on the Minnesota squad and and who was who was uh, you know potentially being let go from Minnesota. And you kind of have one eye on what the beat writers were saying about training camp, about their training camp as well prior to the season. And uh, I know that the beat writers spoke very, very glowingly about Alexander Hollins as well. So um, as I say, a lot of my takes are not based in fact. <laughs> They're just going to be based on feeling. And this one is certainly one of those ones. But I think probably if I was to put cold hard cash down, I would say that the Browns would turn the bottom of this roster. And maybe we might see a wide receiver start the season or, 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 or six wide receiver at the start of the season come game day one. Mightn't even be on the squad at the moment, but based off who we can pick. I'd take Alexander Hollins myself. Nice. So as we kind of wrap up the important training camp battles, one, I think, again, on the offensive side of the ball, this isn't going to be necessarily about the back end of the group as we really have been discussing with the corners and the um, the linebackers and the receiver group because those are positions that the Browns are in a very highly favorable situation where they have a lot of bodies, but they also have a lot of talent on the top. So depth is really going to be the main focus when you look at training camp versus tight end. I think this is a group that they're going to have a more of a competition of who's going to be that tight end one. 
and potentially who's going to be here for the longer term. When you look at Austin Hooper, really, he was playing on a two-year deal. David Njoku got his fifth-year option picked up. He's also was drafted by the team in the first round. Then you have Harrison Bryant, who they added last uh, last year in the draft. Steven Carlson, who's pretty much been a staple as that fourth tight end that they really like to use in terms of run packages. So I would say if there's anyone that's kept on the practice squad, it was pretty much going to be between Connor Davis or Jordan Franks, uh, both younger players. I mean, if I had to just hedge my bet on anyone, I would probably say Connor Davis just because the guy is enormous at 6'8", 271. Um, so, you know, maybe they see some traits, him being developed into a, a run blocking tight end, especially with them running a lot of um, uh, 12 personnel. Uh, there's definitely a, a situation where you're going to see more tight ends on the field. And you obviously want to have some depth in the situation that someone goes down or whatever the case may be. But when I kind of look at this group, I now think that that tight end one is going to be the biggest competition heading into it. Where you look at David Njoku and Austin Hooper and whoever has the better training camp, that's who should get, you know, the majority of the snaps. Uh, because when you look at last year, Harrison Bryant outsnapped David Njoku. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, you know, if you're if you look out just outside of just box score, Austin Hooper obviously had more receptions, more yards than all the other tight ends. But I think when it comes to pure impact, when David Njoku was given his opportunities, I think he was the most influential when uh, he was having the ball thrown his way. Absolutely. Yeah. And and this year, uh, not only are we going to uh, you mentioned there about box scoring, I think with the, with this room in particular, you're really going to have to look at salary and what they're earning, mm-hmm. what the contract is for the, for this this room. I, I know a lot is made of the wide receiver room. I know a lot is made of paying paying cornerbacks or paying uh, running backs. I know we've got a lot of um, a lot of extensions coming up. But for me, it's very underrated the amount of money that you know is being spent. And, and in the greater scheme of things, it's not huge. But we're going to pay David and Joku, who last year, based on on, on the amount of receptions and the amount of targets that he saw was our third our third tight end going to be paying him six million this year based on his um on, on his fifth year option. Obviously, Austin Hooper was at the time that he was signed the highest paid uh, tight end in the league. So it's it's not beyond the realms of possibility that David and Joko leapfrogs and goes to, and becomes a second tight end. I I think at the start of last season that would have happened, and I think that Harrison Bright was was thrown into the mix because of. Maybe there was a bit of dissatisfaction from David Njoku. You know, there was, in you know, injuries have, have tended to follow him over the last two years. Things weren't right. I can't remember exactly was he injured at the start of last season. Something in the back of my mind says. Yeah, he, he had a knee injury in. after the Ravens game. That was it. Yeah, I wasn't 100% sure um, what his injury status was. I think he's, I, I think it, it, it's it's 1A, 1B for the two of those guys um, between uh, Hooper and Njoku. And, you know, I think through the season, the, the biggest potential trade that the Browns could seek, barring they get a big trade from someone like Odell or for Jarvis, which I don't particularly see happening myself. But I think somebody could trade for Austin Hooper. Given his contract, I know his contract is big and everything like that, but I think the teams need need tight ends. There could be a potential trade out there come the trade deadline. You know, if the Browns are... Are, uh, if if the Browns' offense is absolutely humming, but they aren't being very reliant on tight ends, potentially they could trade Austin Hooper. If not, we're in a winning situation. 
Absolutely. I this is a, this is a room I absolutely adore, and I adore it for a lot of reasons. And I'm a big believer in the, for the same reasons as Pete Smith. Pete says that it's a very underrated uh, underrated position, the tight end tight end position. We know Kevin Stefanski likes to play them. We didn't get to see it last year because we couldn't open up our for the first couple of weeks. We were curtailed with horrible winds and horrible weather, uh, so we couldn't open up our playbook there. Baker didn't look too good. He didn't look too bad for the first couple of weeks of the season. Then he started to get into his stride. And when we got into our stride, all of a sudden we get our COVID outbreak in a wide receiver room. Therefore, and and we had some issues with, you know, Wyatt Teller going down, Jed Wills going down. Obviously, we had to bring in a guy named Blake at one stage. Michael Dunn had to play in the, in the offensive line. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is the cohesive nature of offensive line, wide receiver and tight end. The tight end is kind of a bit of absolutely everything, as you well know, and as all your listeners well know. They have to block, they have to catch, they have to they have to know all the calls across the line and with the wide receivers as well. So when you have that amount of disruption, you don't really, I'm convinced and everybody I'm sure is convinced as well that Kevin Stefanski wasn't able to open up his bag of tricks to be able to play his tight ends last season. So for me, I think we're going to see like like the embarrassment of riches we have in 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 this offense alone is just staggering. And we didn't even talk about when we spoke about the defense. We didn't even talk about the defensive line, you know. So the embarrassment of riches in nearly every single every single patch of 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 this team is is huge. But I think that it's not that there are none better than this tight end room because. The two guys, we're so lucky to be able to have Austin Hooper, who can block, who can catch, and has had Pro Bowl seasons. We know David and Joe can catch touchstones. He did it early on in his career. Yes, he he's he did have a a, a fit of the dropsies as well. But you know, he's last year we've seen he's worked a bit more and he's blocking. Um, obviously, as you say, that he has been very exciting and very, very productive when the ball was thrown his way. And then we've got Harrison Bryant, who's learning coming up along, coming along the back end as well. Um, for me, you know, I'm going to take the cop out here, Sean. I'm really sorry. I'm not going to name <laughs> a, a tight end one. I'm going to call him 1A, 1B, because I think I think that uh, we don't have a clue what this offense is going to look like from a tight end perspective this year, uh, based on last year. And I think that this year, we're going to see it an awful lot more because of in-person installs, because of lack of, um, well, fingers crossed and, uh, you know, touch wood and all that, that there won't be any COVID outbreaks or any variants or anything like that that knocks a whole whole room um, out of the equation. And and, and I think that, that when we look at it at the end of the season, we'll see, we'll say, oh my God, there were times there that, you know, that the Kevin Stefanski could literally have just licked his finger, put in the air, called whatever whatever play he wanted to because of the players we were able to get in the field, including our two tight ends. We were in the red zone. We should be a matchup for any team. We should be scary good in the red zone based on the strength of our tight end group. For sure. And I, I, th- I believe that 1A, 1B is a fair answer, especially until we see you know what they're doing in training camp. I do believe that salary cap will you know play a role in this. Um, you know, if, if there's a situation that someone goes down, you could potentially see a trade, you know, given that there's probably going to be some type of turnover um, next year, uh, given that Njoku needs a new contract and Austin Hooper's money goes up a little bit as well. So that definitely be something to monitor, you know, throughout the season. Um, you know, if there's a tight end trade, I'll probably say Tim Tebow is going to be the biggest one in the NFL to get traded as a tight end. Um I, I mean, I, I doubt it as a whole, <laughs> but, but um, 
it's, I thought it, you were serious there for a Oh, no, no, not at all. <laughs> it, it'll be an absolute surprise if that man even makes the roster. But just knowing Urban Meyer, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, just kind of just following Urban Meyer and his whole coaching career. He definitely is a I'm a my guy's first type of person. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Tebow makes the roster and, and even plays a little bit this season. So, but you know, it's, it's the Tebow experience. So when, when you're the, the poster child of, of college football, you're going to get chances that other people should get, but that's a discussion for another day. Um, but Hey, maybe he can get traded to like the, um, what was the Canadian football league? The, uh, something like the, the Kyrie flames or something like that. Uh, <laughs> Saskatchewan Rough Riders, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it, it, it'll definitely be something to monitor. But I'm I'm definitely excited to see what the tight end group will be able to do in this offense. Um, and kind of just uh, backtracking to something you said earlier in the show about Alex Van Pelt probably being the one to call the offense. And if he shows the ability to effectively have the tight ends attack the scene, I think that might be something that gives David, uh, David, David Njoku a slight edge over Austin Hooper just because his ability won. That leaping ability he has is tremendous. So a lot of times when you're throwing the ball over the middle or in the scene, you typically don't want to throw it too low because you have to throw it over people's heads, especially with Baker Mayfield just being smaller. You know, have to put a little bit more air under it so it's not getting swatted down at the line of scrimmage. And also just getting it over the linebackers but in front of defensive backs is a tough task if you're not having someone that can make consistent jump balls. And David Njoku has shown that throughout his career that he can make those contested catches over the middle of the field. And I will also say, too, with Austin Hooper is that his impact even dating back to Atlanta, is in that same area of the field that you want Jarvis Landry to do predominant, you know, predominantly his damage. And then you also have Harrison Bryant, who has his own role in the offense where he's can be utilized more as an H back, where you're going to use him blocking on the edge, um, off of play action, just as you know, slipping out into the flats, being that kind of gadget tight end that you can use all across the formation. And then, like you said, once you get into the red zone. If they have all three on the field, or shoot, even four with Steven Carlson in there, who's who's going to block all these people? Uh, or not block, but uh, cover all these people? In a situation you run the ball, you're going to be bigger than everyone else. Um, all the tight ends have been improving in their run blocking. So there's going to be more opportunities to get on the edge. And you already have two dynamic running backs in the backfield. So now you run a play action. Any one of those four could go out and run a route. So it's 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 a nice problem to have where your top four is who's going to actually be that tight end one based off of last year where potentially your tight end three, who was David Njoku, could surplant everyone and become your tight end one. So um, I think personally, that's probably the biggest matchup on the offense uh, in terms of, you know, watching and seeing what happens there. Um, it's something I'm definitely going to keep my eye on. Is there any type of matchups, just overall the entire roster, that you're excited to watch this season at training camp? Um, I think yeah, I, I'm just I, I'm really excited to see competent safety play. Um, I'm really excited to see that that whole dynamic between all of the defensive backs. I, I think that for me is 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 going to be it's going to be really fulfilling because you know. It was it, it. 
I, I always go back to last year and I don't think I'll, I, I, it'll take a while to get over it. Uh, how we could have beaten the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, and, and I hate, it, it's almost a situation, Sean, where I would have preferred to go out there and get beat by 25 points um, by the Kansas City Chiefs than to have it within our grasp and become so close and then lead, then let a journeyman like that, you know, run and, on, on on this defense, and I know that's not particularly the cornerback or the defensive back's fault, but I think that you know throughout the course of the, of last year, I think maybe the degradation of our, our of our defense came from the fact that you know we had back and forth games. Our defense was put under a lot of pressure. You know there was a lot of high scoring games. We had to come out as our offense and score 30, 40 points to win some games. Otherwise, you know we wouldn't have got to the playoffs. So what I'm kind of looking for is this defensive back room is uh, for me is uh, I would like it to be a bit more um, coherent. I would like the 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 scheme and the play to be a bit more coherent than it was last season. Obviously, I'd like there to be a bit more stability and less injuries uh, than there were there in, in that room, particularly. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing John Johnson. I'm really looking forward to seeing Grant Delpit, as is absolutely every Cleveland Browns fan. And I think that the Browns could put up some big scores while keeping some low scores uh, against us this season. Uh, and really, you know, I think there could be a lot of muscle flexing from this Browns team because of the, because of, of the, of the perceived dominance or the hoped dominance, should I say that our, our defensive backfield um, can give us. And, and for me, training camp is going to shed light on whether I am just waxing lyrically and just talking with my Cleveland Browns glasses on here or whether uh, Joe Woods is going to come up with, um, with a, a game plan to, to to rule them all over the course of the next season. And also as well, it's important that we, you know, that, that we do have depth back there as well because 17 games this season as opposed to 16. And, you know, we haven't exactly had great stability in that defensive back room uh, over the last two to three years. Cleveland Browns fans rejoice. Lift your hands in the air and say thank you. For now on, number 23 will no longer be the catalyst of all our problems <laughs> as Troy Hill is now the Michael Jordan of this team and no longer will we have to suffer through weekly basis of Andrew Sandejo being the first one in the screen as an offense scores a touchdown on the Browns defense. So lift and rejoice as 23 will no longer be the emphasis of our pain. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Neil, I want to thank you so much for joining me on the show, man. Um, it's, it's great to have you on here. I know it's uh, getting a little late over there in, in, in Europe, that, that five-hour time difference. But uh, all you guys that's listening to the show, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Browns Digest podcast. Be sure to give Neil a follow at 2GreenBrowns. That's T-W-O, the color green browns. You guys can listen to the Browns Digest podcast on your favorite audio streaming platform, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you like to listen to your podcast, it's available every Friday at noon as well on the Browns um, Sports Illustrated Browns Digest website. And thank you guys so much, and we will see you next time.